0: Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom.
1: Welcome to our uh, Tuesday night Torah class. We've been uh, going through the Torah, which we do. uh, As a group, we determined at the beginning of this uh, session that we were going to just go uh, for an hour and a half each evening and talk about pretty much uh, whatever, whatever we feel like we need to be talking about and then just pick up from where we left off last week each week rather than, than stick to a, uh, a rigid Torah schedule. There's advantages and disadvantages to both, but we decided to do it this way, and we're just about finished with the, the, this cycle. We're in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, and we've uh, gone all the way from the beginning. Some people have been here the whole time. Uh, it, it takes It's taken us a little over a year to get through it. Mm, let's see, my job is to facilitate. I... Um, I, my, Jan always like, my wife likes to tell me, my favorite statement is, moving right along. So I usually, once, once the horse we're beating is well and truly dead, I move on. So we do go down a fair number of rabbit trails, but uh, I feel like we need to get through the Torah. One of the things that I've learned, and I've done this for, I shouldn't count, but I'm sure 15 or 16 times now, is every time I go through it, I learn something else. And it, it helps. The way I've, I've, the analogy I've got in my head is everything we believe is built on the Torah, in some way, shape, or form. I mean, you know, one of the things Ralphie's discovering in his in-depth teaching on Shabbat is that uh, he's going through the Book of Matthew, and every time he looks at it, he ends up back in the Torah because that's all Yeshua talked about. Was the Torah? Everything's based on the Torah. And so what we're doing here is we're kind of going in the, all the little joints with the rocks and kind of making sure all the mortar's in just where it needs to be and just kind of strengthening the whole thing. We're just getting more and more familiar with it. Uh, But I enjoy it a lot. Anyway, I hope you do too. Let's see. Let me open in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this group of people that found time in their schedule to come out and study your Torah. And I'd ask that you just be in our conversation this evening. Um, We're here because we want to know you better. We want to know your word better. And uh, I just ask that you help us to um, just be sensitive to your leading, to listen to those, to each other as we ask our questions and as we state our opinions and help us to uh, to really, truly grow, help us to realize that uh, this Torah is miraculous. It is certainly, um, certainly far greater than we are. And I just ask that you'd help us to give it the credit that it deserves, help us to understand that you're God and we're not, and that we need to understand you, and this is the best way we have to do that. In Yushua's name, amen. So, the way we typically do it, as you remember, is we just read through a section, and then we talk about it. I have um, the, these questions in the in the workbook, and the questions are, are meant to do nothing more than stimulate discussion. So, um, we'll start. Um, let's see, I should, I should talk about where we were last week. Last week we ended on a particularly interesting one, the last little part of chapter 18. The last few verses of chapter 18 were, in my, my little sections, Galt says the prophet. And we talked about how it was such an obvious uh, prophecy for Yeshua. And we went through that and I, I was, I'm always interested when it works this way because it tied right in with what Mark was talking about on Shabbat. Um, and it's, uh, anyway it was a great I thought it was a great place to end now I have to confess that as I look through what we have to go through tonight um, there's nothing that really jumps out at me as boy this is gonna be exciting but we want to read it all so we're gonna read it and I'm sure we'll find something that's uh, one of you is gonna say wow look at that I'm gonna go I didn't ever see that so we'll start in chapter 19 and um, somebody want to read chapter 19 starting at the beginning and we'll go through uh, verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1 through 14. Does somebody want to read that? Alfonso. Are you there? Or Mike. Anybody? Uh, you, you just barely waited for you to come in the door and sit down.
2: <laughs> waiting for you to come and read
1: So you're gonna use your best Samuel L. Jackson voice, right? <laughs> When
3: Yahuwah your Elohim cuts off the nations whose land Yahweh your Elohim has given you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, separate three cities for yourselves in the midst of your land which Yahuwah your Elohim is giving you to possess. Prepare a way for yourselves and divide into three parts the border of your land which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you to inherit, that anyone who killed someone shall flee there. And is this the matter of the one who killed someone who flees there and live? He who smites his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past, even he who goes to the forest with his neighbors to cut timber, that his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, let him flee to the one of these cities and live. Lest the revenger of blood, while his displeasure is hot, pursue the one who killed someone and overtake him. Because the way is long, and shall smite him though he has not worthy of death since he had not hated him before. Therefore, I am commanding you saying, separate three cities for yourself. And if Yahweh your Elohim enlarges your border as he swore to your fathers and has given you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, when you guard all this command to do it, which I am commanding you today, to love Yahweh your Elohim and to walk in his ways all the days, Then you shall add three more cities for yourselves besides these three so that the innocent blood is not shed in the midst of your land, which Yahweh your Elohim has given you as an inheritance or blood guilt shall be upon you. But when anyone hates his neighbor and shall lie in wait for him and rise against him and smite the life from him so that he dies, then he shall flee to one of these cities and the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there. And give him unto the hand of the revenger of blood, and he shall die. Your eyes shall not pardon him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Yisrael, so that it might be well with you. You inherit in the land that Yahweh your Elohim has given you to possess.
1: Okay, this will be interesting. (laughs) So this is concerning these uh, cities of refuge. Have we read about the cities of refuge before? Who can? Who would like to describe what the s- purpose of the city of refuge is? Somebody, I'm sure one of you guys has got an idea what that is. probably does. Did, stick. We're gonna. We like to do this. Besides, it you know, messes up the flow of go. things.
4: <laughs> well, my understanding of a city of refuge is that it's a place where a person who has accidentally or unintentionally or ignorantly killed, another human being can go um, and be free of um, being, of, their, of having their own life avenged by the relatives of the person they accidentally killed.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, that's fine. That's a perfectly good explanation for that. I think we want to talk about that for a little while because this thing is always, I've struggled a little bit with it, trying to just understand it. One of the things I was reading about is that um, this appears to be a custom that was common in the Middle East at this time. Um, so uh, this, is, uh, this is just my opinion, but I think this is God's um, addressing that issue. Anyway, so the real key here is a guy is involved in the death of someone else. A person is involved in the death of someone else. And it's real clear, it says three or four times, what, what essential ingredient that makes murder is not in this case. What? Intent. Yeah, never hated him. Yours used the word never hated him. Mine uses the one that we use in legal language today, malice aforethought. Okay? There was no planning. There was no, oh, man, I hate this guy's guts. Ever I ever get a chance, I'm going to whack him. You know, there's none of that. It was, and I, I love the example. I mean, you read this stuff in the Bible, and you kind of have to laugh. So, like, you're out in the woods, and you've gone wood chopping with a friend of yours and the axe head falls, you know, flies off your axe and hits him in the head and he dies. I mean, what are the chances of that happening anyway? (laughs) Yep. 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 Oh, they do slip off. That's true. It could certainly happen. But I think the interesting thing is, is that that's a good example to explain what he's talking about when he says, malice aforethought or there was no hatred. You know, the... He, it, it was an accident. And, and like I say, today's legal language, we call that manslaughter, right? Do you have some, John?
5: Um I well, just like at the end of 8, uh, or is it 6? Must be. Let the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtaken, overtaken because... The way is long, and the slay and slay him, whereas. Uh, Slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death as much as he hated him not in the past.
1: Mm -hmm. That's that's essentially the idea, right?
5: So if you had, quote unquote, buried an
1: argument, buried the hatchet in
5: the past,
1: I guess that then they get into a lot of stuff like that whenever they actually try these cases, right? to well, you know, well, he had an argument with his friend that day and he didn't like him anymore or whatever. Yeah.
4: So your point is well taken on one hand. But on the flip
1: side of the point, how, how likely is someone to go do a dangerous task with someone they haven't very much with? Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. So. Um, Then, with all of these things, there's going to be need for judgment. That's the whole idea, right? There's need for judgment here. So, um, if, okay, first of all, let's consider the case. Two guys go out chopping wood, and one of them, sure it is, sure it is, but two guys go chopping wood, and one of them comes back and says, oh man, the other one, my my buddy died, the axe handle, the axe flew off the handle and hit him in the head and he's dead. so, the Avenger of Blood, who is a. Uh,
5: <laughs> Kinfolk? The,
1: the Avenger of Blood is typically a, a close relative, and um, I think the way I understand it, the, the custom is, is that this close relative can uh, legally demand the life of this guy that caused the death of his relative. And so. That's that's what they do. That's the avenger of blood. You, you shed the blood of my cousin, brother, whatever, so I'm going to shed your blood. Um, go ahead.
4: So if it's true that there was some sort of custom where uh, the relative could avenge the death of a loved one, even if it was committed in innocence, it looks to me like verse 6 is saying that that custom is unjust because it says, lest the avenger of blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. So he's saying if it's accidental, he's not worthy of death and no custom is going to be sufficient to override this. He doesn't deserve death.
1: That's exactly the way I read it too. And that's why I say I think part of this is God's... Uh, effort to put this custom where it belongs. Now if the if the man is truly guilty or the person is truly guilty of murder, what does God prescribe? Yeah. His death. You have to the in order to atone for the death of an innocent person, the death of the person that killed him must be spilled. Okay, that's that's the way that's typically stated in the Bible. So if the guy's really guilty of murder, then he he deserves to be uh, put to death. However, um, unless someone witnessed it or, you know, the, uh, it requires judgment, it doesn't, it doesn't just automatically happen. However, if the person is to be put to death, then the person that typically puts him to death is this avenger of blood. And so, what the city of, of uh, refuge is all about is if this accident, let's, it hypothetically happened, then this guy can run to the city of refuge and not be fearful of losing his life at the hands of the avenger of blood." While in pursuit. pursuit. Well, in there too. Well, Well, that's yeah, while in pursuit. But until the judgment is rendered, he's safe, right? Once the judgment is rendered, then one of two things is going to be happening, right? Either he's judged guilty of murder, in which case we know what happens, or he's just Uh, innocent of murder but guilty of you know accidental death and like you just said it it says in there it says he's not deserving of death because it was an accident it was it was no uh,
6: just as a side note when I lived in Saudi Arabia I found out that to this day they have a, a, a take on this if you kill someone in whether it's an accident or on purpose there's a, a what we're calling a blood blood avenger someone in the family of the deceased can take the life of the other one and but they've got a twist on it they can come to monetary, monetary agreement and the guy can buy his way out of it
1: hmm. which that is like, that's <laughs> <laughs> but i'm not surprised that that's still there i'm not surprised
4: Um, I think John referenced something about the way is long or while he's in pursuit, he's innocent. And it just caught my attention that um, there were supposed to be three of these cities of refuge, so it wouldn't take a long time to get to them. And then over in, I think it was um, verse nine, I'm not sure where, where it says that uh, when they... You know, inherit the land, as they grow in number, they're to add three more cities so that that way won't be long, so that mm-hmm. the probability of an innocent person escaping is dramatically high. Yeah. It's likely. Yeah, yeah.
1: These three cities that are prescribed are spread out kind of uniformly within uh, Canaan so that a guy can get there. As a matter of fact, I, I read up on it, and it said that they would uh, make the roads good. If you wanted a good road, it was a road that led to a city of refuge. That's that's where the interstates went, was to the cities of refuge. And then you're right. He has this thing in there. He says, I love this because it basically says, uh, uh, starting in verse eight, if Yahweh your God enlarges your ter- if he enlarges your territory as he promised on oath to his forefathers, to your forefathers, and gives you the whole land he promised, because you carefully follow these laws I command you today, to love the Lord your God, and walk in His ways always, then you are set to set aside three more cities, okay? Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land. So the point is, we know that none of that happened, right? But he's basically saying, uh, you know, if you guys will just behave and, and be obedient, you can grow big enough, you can, you know, acquire enough territory that you need three more cities, and you can do that too. Plus, there are three other cities that are already in existence at this point in time, or... Do you know where they are? Do you remember when um, when they were coming up, the Israelites were coming up around Edom, uh, north on the east side of the Jordan River, and uh, half the tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben said, you know, went to Moses, says, we kind of think this is pretty good land. We'd just like to stay here. If you guys want to go ahead and go across the Jordan and, take that other land over there. You go ahead. We're going to, we'd like to have our inheritance here. And Moses got real upset. He says, no, no, you can't do that. This is, we're all in this together, you know. um, know, Haven't you learned the lesson of the 12 spies and on and on? He got real upset. And then they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you misunderstood, you know. We'll go with our brothers as they cross the Jordan and help them take the land that they need to occupy. But whenever it's all said and done and we get tribal inheritances, we would like our tribal inheritances to be on the east side of the Jordan River. And so it says in numbers, it it says uh, which tribes got which land and which cities would be the three cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan. So this is about the cities of refuge that are on the west side of the Jordan. So anyway, where else am I going with all this?
7: So looking at this, could we say that this was basically the first example of a liability insurance policy (laughs) that was put in place? Because now, if someone comes to our home and trips and falls and hits their head and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, fatality occurs, the avenger of blood or the relative, you know, now wants to seek.
1: Yeah. So Certainly. we have a
7: life insurance policy now that protects us from... Mm-hmm. So this, in some form, yep. is some kind of an insurance. There's, there's a liability a, insurance policy.
1: There's, there's even a more specific one about insurance here later on. But yeah, that that's a pretty good one. John?
5: Um, well, so a couple couple of questions. I think today most people look at this and say, this is kind of odd.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And so... We, to to do this today I don't know you know even in the common law if we were to embrace the common law maybe we would enforce this I don't know but if we if 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 that's the case that it isn't really what the intent is now or we have a different what I'm getting at is we who have a renewed Covenant a renewed spirit in us like it says in Jeremiah 31 31-35 does that not apply now because we wouldn't do this we wouldn't avenge we would we would let the justice legal matters follow no matter what
1: what you're saying is um
5: i wouldn't avenge my brother exactly
1: as as i'll put it this new testament believers we wouldn't ever be avengers of blood
5: right well we we would still we would still it's not saying that there wouldn't be a legal Action taken to determine whatever it was, but I'm going to wait for the law to decide mm-hmm. not whether or not he can run fast or not. Yeah, yeah. And I can run faster.
1: That's a point of view I, I can, I can understand. Well,
5: and then tied into that, he if he's proved not guilty of murder, he's still punished. Mm-hmm. What's his punishment?
1: Stay there in house arrest. If you
5: Until?
1: Know. The high priest dies. Or
5: ah, really dies. so who is our high priest?
1: in which case we'd be in house arrest forever right
5: well or that that pursuit but I'm suggesting if yeshua is our high priest and that's he he's died and resurrected therefore this this avenging our brother doesn't apply because he's our high priest just throwing it out there mm,
1: that's that's a that's
5: a thought yeah law still applies you still have to have a legal
4: determiner whether that guy was yeah. guilty or not mm-hmm I might not have understood John's point, but um, I I think when I'm looking at verse 6, what's standing out to me at this moment is that there's always going to be a need for cities of refuge. I actually think it's a a shame that we don't have them uh, in the United States, and and I don't think being a believer negates the need for them. Um, How would they work today? Well, before I get to that, let me just go back to verse 6. It says, Lest the avenger of blood pursue this slayer while his heart is hot. I don't care how renewed in covenant you think you are under the right circumstance, you can get pretty heated up, and I'm mm-hmm. not advocating that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we should all practice perfect self-control, but, I mean, the Bible does tell the truth about human nature. It Clearly. says the heart is deceptive and wicked above all things and who can know it, right? Yep. And you can think that you'd never try to harm somebody, but take a case where you... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe a case where you see uh, somebody committing adultery with your wife, or raping, and there aren't two witnesses, and maybe there aren't no, oh, there isn't a way to get two witnesses because that was the only way you could accuse in the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, in the heat of passion, you can do all kinds of things. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but the thing that's standing out to me right now is one: we we always need protection for our own selves. Mm-hmm so that we don't do something drastic. And that might sound like, God, why is she saying that? No, I've never done an act of violence to another person. I've never even wanted to. But what I'm trying to say is it's here in the Bible that um, when a person loses a loved one, that they can become heated up and Mm -hmm. become determined um, to take vengeance. And this is as much a protection for the person who accidentally kills as it is those who would want to avenge the death because it keeps that person from becoming a murderer. This law would keep me from becoming a murderer mm-hmm. if I, it came right down to that. I, I do you think, see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I do. I think a um, um, couple things. I think one of the things that was going on here was something that Marvin kind of alluded to a little bit. It, it, back at this time, if if uh, one of your loved ones were to die, almost at the hand of another, regardless of the circumstance... Somebody in your family had a, you know, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card could go killing. And and this whole thing is designed to prevent that, or to certainly prevent it except in the case of murder. So I'm agreeing with you in that sense. But on the other hand, where we live in society today, the whole legal system is built that way. You know, vin- you're not allowed to take vengeance in your own hands. The legal system does that. So just because you saw someone um, you know do some horrible crime doesn't give you the right to go avenge that crime, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? I mean, it's uh, it, it it's. I think I think what it's really trying to do is to prevent what you just said. From I'm agreeing with you.
4: <laughs> How do you reconcile that? To verse eleven, then, where it says, "But if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him and rise up against him and smite him, morally that he die." And he fleeth into one of these cities. Then the elders of, of that city shall, shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Yeah,
1: that's that's, and, uh, the, that's a murder.
4: And it says, thou, Thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put him, put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with thee. So so this is kind of interesting because, you know, in our society we see things. Okay, so here's, let me give you an example. I know a man who was put to death because he killed the um the dealers that got his little brother addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind that man was innocent. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't advocate killing a person, no. but when the law won't take action, I totally understand why mm-hmm. he did it. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, so where I'm going with it is that um this I mean verse 11 Clearly, does say that if it if there's proof positive that the man was guilty and that he intentionally did it, that the relative can avenge and well, it's um, not all,
1: actually not just can should
4: yeah, and this the brings
1: up that's the relative's job is to carry out the the penalty of death that's been decided by the judges.
4: Well, and this is interesting, and maybe this is too much of a rabbit trail. So, if it is, I mean, well, it's not a hill you know, I'm ready to die on or anything, but. This brings up uh, the subject of acts of terror. Maybe that's too Mm -hmm. controversial, but, you know, a lot of uh, people think that, um, you know, you shouldn't fight back or, you know, you're just antagonizing them by fighting back. But based on this, when terrorists kill people in our nation, you know, you're not supposed to just let it go. It doesn't mean that citizens without due process of law, Mm -hmm. you know, get... get involved in vigilante justice, but I'm just talking about, you know, Christians who are pacifists, and I understand pacifism, because it's one thing to talk about um, avenging another person. You know, it's easy for me to say that, but if you put the gun in my hand, I don't think I could pull the trigger, even though intellectually I assent to it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep, I understand what you're saying. None of these issues are black and white. There's no two ways about it. John?
5: Well, the end of that, what she's reading there is the claim of manslaughter is not valid. You're a murderer because yeah. that's what the, the facts yeah. say. So that, that doesn't go away.
1: Yeah. Well, like I say, what you were reading, if it, mine's a little different. It says, but if a man hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, assaults and kills him, and then flees to one of these cities, the elders of his town shall send for him, that is the town where he committed the murder, shall send for him, bring him back from the city, and hand him over to the avenger of blood to die. Now, typically that was done by stoning, and the first guy that threw the biggest stone was the avenger of blood. And and not only was he allowed, he was required to do that, okay?
5: Pursuant to the Torah, that's called murder. Yeah, He murdered
1: him. Yeah, and it goes even farther, and it says, show him no pity. You must purge Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. In other words, God requires the, the shedding of the blood of one who shed the blood of an innocent person. It's that simple, and that's what that's, that's really what it's getting to, yeah.
5: Uh, just another thought, you know, you, you said, well, we should have city, sanctuary cities. Well, there's people who claim we do.
1: Yeah.
5: I think they're illegal, I think they're abusing, they're, they're, they're claiming things that are in the Bible, which they don't, I am having a hard time believing, they follow, and they're <laughs> saying, well, we're gonna use this, this word, sanctuary cities, to allow people to do illegal acts,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So no, that's I think, that's well, an we'll, abuse of here, here. Yeah, that's a a. Uh, the, well, yeah, they've they've missed
5: They've taken the label of right. Yeah, yeah happens a sure, lot. Yeah. Turns out.
1: It's, this is not simple, and I I still have trouble with this whole Avenger of Blood thing anyway. Uh, but I mean, just just. Uh, I, I I understand and I agree that it's if it's done in out of the heat of anger or something like that, then, you know, we should protect that. I've often thought about, you know, you remember the story of uh, Phinehas and uh, the, you know, it was when the…
5: Shish, Bob Simeon. The Am-
1: the, uh, yeah, the the Amorites were busy seducing all the Israelites and, and uh, Cosby is one name that I remember just because it's easy to remember. Cosby and some other guy were going at it. She was a Midianite was all upset. He just says, you know, this is an affront to to our God and he ran them through, both of them, you know, shish kabob. Uh, Now, he did that, right? And and God not only didn't punish him for it, he committed him for it, right? Rewarded covenant, him for
5: it. Covenant of peace.
1: Well, well, there's lots of reasons why that was appropriate, but I guess my point is, is that you can't with all of, the, in my opinion, all of this stuff, you have to kind of Figure out what applies and what doesn't. That's why. That's why the silly thing with the axe head flying off the handle. I mean, to me, that's just such a made-up story. But it is. Yeah.
5: Um, well, with regard to Phineas, I. To me, that's a thing of self-defense because God said earlier, if the other tribes commit crime, I'm not going after them. I'm going after you guys. You guys are in charge. That's true. And so. That was he was offending. It was a, it was a threat to Phineas's life. That's a good point. From God,
1: yeah.
6: That's how I look at it, anyway.
5: Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't
6: see I'm kind of I've got a question that just popped into my mind. How do we square the circle on this with Cain and Abel?
1: Well, um, I tell you that's a very good question. But do you remember? What?
5: That's why Cain had to leave.
1: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it was clearly murder. And and yeah, he did take his life. He just didn't take it right away. Yeah, eventually.
4: So that's a great question. And I don't know if I have the right answer, but that bugged know. me for a lot of years. And I have at least maybe a partial answer. Okay. And I noticed in the scripture that until after Noah, there was not a death penalty for murder. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen until after the flood. And I, the scripture, at least in the King James, says I don't know what it says in the Hebrew. It says the earth was filled with violence, mm-hmm. and that every uh, thought of man was only evil continually. And it, in King James, anyway, it mentions specifically violence. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it, you can almost imagine God saying, "Okay." I've given you some free reign. You can see what happens when violence goes unchecked. The whole world becomes so filled with violence that in order to save the life of the only eight people who aren't out murdering people, I'm going to have to get rid of the rest of you. Mm -hmm. And so after that is when the death penalty was implemented. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's a possibility is that, um, well, no, that's not true. I was going to say maybe with Cain it wasn't premeditated, but it was premeditated it was. because God goes to him and says, you know, why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? all that stuff? But anyway, I, whatever the correct interpretation is, it is interesting that it was not until after the flood mm-hmm. that the that, death that penalty that, was instituted. Point. And it was that command was given directly to Noah. Yep. I think it's Genesis 9. Yep. That's a good point.
5: And what did Cain do? He went and built cities. Like a city of refuge, I wonder.
2: Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's interesting, too, that uh, God said that if, if anybody touches Cain, they themselves will be punished. Mm-hmm. And then later, one of his, um, I don't know if it was a grandson or great-grandson, uh, killed a man. Yep. What was his name Lamech? Lamech, yep. yeah. And, uh, and he, he uh, from the way I understood it, he was almost in a tone of arrogance saying, if Cain, you know, is, uh, you know, released from, uh, not guilt, but, you know, punishment, then let me seven times as much be, you know. Yeah, I know what
1: you're saying. That. You know, it occurs to me. And you it, it just
2: seems like, a, I don't know.
1: Well, there's kind some of, kind of a linkage between this uh, Avenger of Blood uh, and, and those stories, those pre-NOAH stories, really.
4: Wasn't Lamech... Um, guilty of manslaughter, not intentional murder?
1: It could be. I don't Yeah, but it, it was a...
4: Um, he said he... Didn't he say that he had been wounded and like it was in self-defense or something? I don't know. I
1: don't know either. Just, but, yeah, I guess I'm going to cut the rabbit hole off. <laughs> cut the rabbit hole off. Uh, just because... We can go down that path, but I don't know to what end. I wanted to get to one other little point, though, and that's in verse 14. And this is for wounding me. Okay, killed a man for wounding me. So that would be, uh, that would be a, um, above, that, that's a sin, if you will, to kill a man for wounding you. That's not right. Well, anyway, let me go on. I'm going to move on. Verse 14, do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land that Yahweh your God has given you to possess. Is that doing there? Yeah, well, no, but why is it there in this story?
5: Well, if you change where the where the cities of refuge are, I guess, I mean, that's, that's the connection back.
1: Could be. Could be. I, I don't have stretch. an answer for this. I was just that's wondering kind if anybody, anybody stretch, else could see but. what that's doing there.
8: Yeah.
4: Okay, so this is going to sound crazy, but um, we actually had an experience like this in my family. Uh, My parents decided to get, my mother actually decided to give an early inheritance to her children. And um, so my parents bought 80 acres. It was beautiful, had year-round creek and, you know, springs, and it was gorgeous. Anyway, so um, one of my sister's husband was a real jerk. And oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't very Christian. And he started actually claiming my parents' property as his own. And um, he would tell people that the boundaries were one place, like acres and acres more than they gave him, because they only gave him two acres. And um, so greed is a very powerful thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Moving boundary stones is a. I, I was just struck by the fact, I'm always struck whenever you're reading along and you you got a theme going of one type or another. You know, we're talking cities of refuge and murder and manslaughter and all this, and then this thing appears. And, you know, there's some reason it's there. It, there's some fit, but I can't quite get it. That may be it. John? Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That could be. That's too bad. Yeah. Did you have something, Polly? Nope.
7: It probably does have something to do with the sanctuary cities or the cities of okay. refuge establishing where they are. They are to remain where they're established without being used for something else. They were set aside. Okay. For that, But I want to talk about something else about moving the Boundary Stone, and that's something that um, we were introduced to. Um, ha- having spent some time with Dr. Sakina, he kind of elaborates on this a little bit more, and it was very interesting, the perspective of this. And so, being a part of B'nai Yosef North America, one of the protocols that has been established is before we have any type of uh, summit or gathering, Um, that we go to the First Nations uh, tribe who first occupied the land Um, here in Mesa, Mark and I. That's how we made the connections with Pastor Darlene of the uh, Pima, Maricopa Pima Indian community with the lieutenant governor. And so we went to the lieutenant governor and um, respectfully acknowledge that your boundary stones have been moved. And asked for forgiveness for um, those that went ahead of us and moved boundary stones. And asked for their blessing that we would like to gather here. We are calling a summit of the nation. And we would like to uh, meet here. Um, and we would like your blessing upon it. And it was really, if you weren't a part of that ceremony, I think you have got to be there. Where they came and they pronounced a blessing over us, we pronounced a blessing over them, and a wonderful relationship um, was formed. And Dr. Skeena talked about the protocol that the Father established boundary stones from the beginning. They were given stewardship of land that, um, you know, I don't know, you can argue about history and what took place, but we have noticed a blessing that does occur when we go and do that. And so Mark has often talked about, even though we did that, on behalf of B'nai Yosef and we we invited him here to the community we never really did that as living Messiah. they knew we were part and Mark being in a you know um, a leadership position he often asks I don't know if we need to do that as living Messiah you know to just respectfully invite them and just see what mm-hmm. further blessings the father opens up to us when we, go back and acknowledge that Boundary Stones were moved, yes. and uh, we would like their blessing on our gathering here. So we'll see, yeah. maybe during our National
8: Shabbat that we kind of talked about. Yep. The land being inherited to the future generations after the uh, Jew Lee is very important. Mm-hmm. I don't think we understand that concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I that am, you always yep. had a homeland. Yeah, I, I, that's always that's, always had a homeland. you were never without a home yep uh, and unless you indentured yourself and it was only for mm-hmm. a, even, a, a uh, small yeah,
1: some less than 50 years less than
8: 50 yep. years
1: yep.
8: And I don't I don't think we understand that no, concept. I,
1: well, we've I, you could yeah. argue that it's not even real clear that Israel ever really did it right
8: yeah but it's never been done anywhere else
1: where you know at the, the founding fathers if you will, divide up the land yeah. and that land stays within that family within that tribe if you will uh, forever and and, and like yeah. you say every 50 years you go back to your family land and yeah. the boundaries are well known
8: and it's it, it's sad because you see homeless people mm-hmm. and uh, um, i mean i i have a home but i got to pay property tax every year yeah. and it's not really mine unless i pay that and I know, you don't pay that that's a if, real rotten deal. and if you way. don't pay the tax <laughs> yeah. after a couple of years they can sell it under you you know and uh Fair so um i yep. think that's a that's very important for future generations too i
1: agree that with you, you
8: always have a home yep. and uh, that's something that we don't know about or yep. we don't experience we don't, it well we don't value it properly yeah.
5: so a couple of points if i don't if i can jump in here
1: interrupt yeah
5: you know does this apply to the land, the inherited land that God specifically said, yes. and that we are simply saying, well, we're not really doing that like in America because we weren't really given that land in the similar fashion here. But we can certainly respect the concept of boundary edges. And if you agree to this contract and sell this piece of property, then you have to respect what what it is you sold. You have to, it's still law. It's still a valid contract if you buy and sell property.
1: That's fair
5: other thing is about what Paulie was saying, that's fine if the other ones that they're claiming we took the land, this is politically incorrect, by the way. If we, if they're claiming that we took the land that they have to assume, it has to be shown that they have no other claims against it from other tribes. In other words, were they practicing Torah before that? Were they practicing property rights? If they were, then they have a valid claim. If they're not, then just because you're here first, just means you happen to be on the land here first. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know. How did you get the property? In other words, does so, that make sense?
1: So, are you saying that, uh, well, let's see, uh, property rights come from God?
5: Well, law, contract, and you know, all that comes from 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 law from God for sure. But I'm just saying, you know, if the Comanches came in and say, "Well, we're, we happen to have this land because we took it from the Apaches," or vice versa, yeah. You know,
1: uh, well, it I, doesn't. It doesn't
5: just start with the white man did all these oh, bad no, no, no. things. It, it's,
1: fact, wars do that, right? That's what a war is for. It's to completely upend all previous ownership of land. So, how would you, how would, uh, how would you go back today and prove that you own some piece of land in Israel? You couldn't. You couldn't.
5: Well, ultimately, you're right. It comes down to let's not let's let's uh, put up the dukes.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Marvin.
6: Well, I think John's discussion kind of made mine kind of useless. But <laughs> but what I was going to say was the only people that I know of that kept records throughout their generations are the chosen people. Yep. Okay. We are so convoluted in our heritage, we have no idea. I mean, we can't even take our heritage back very many generations at all and know anything about it today yep and so I think it's a good concept but we don't even eat no one has the records to even prove anything
1: yeah yeah and this the one the idea that really irks me is that all land really belongs to the government well I don't like that
4: Okay, so going back to that question, what's the link between the cities of refuge and not moving a neighbor's landmark, um, and also what's the link between an intentional murder in a city of refuge, an intentional murder in a city of refuge, and not moving a neighbor's landmark? Well, there is a story in the Bible that's related to this, isn't that the one about Ahab and Jezebel? With Doesn't he Naboth's see Naboth's vineyard? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I he went, kills him for it.
1: Yeah, I went back and and read that story this afternoon just to. And, and thinking somebody might bring it up, and uh, can I paraphrase the story? It's a, it's, it's in First Kings chapter something. But anyway, um, Ahab and Jezebel are running the northern kingdom of Israel, and they've kind of made this. This is not I'm paraphrasing. They've kind of made this thing. Jezebel takes care of the religious stuff because Ahab doesn't doesn't have time for that, and he takes care of all the physical stuff because that's his thing. And uh, he looks out his window, and he sees this really great little, little vineyard right out his window. And he says, man, that'd be a really nice place to have my garden. So, he finds out who owns it, and it's this guy named Naboth. And he goes to Naboth, and he says, or better yet, he has Naboth come to his house, and he says, I'd like to buy your, your vineyard from you, and, uh, or trade it, you know, I'll give you one for it in his place. And Naboth says, that's my family inheritance. There's no way I could sell that inheritance. It's not for sale. I'm keeping it." And so Ahab, being the, the big man that he is, pouts. And Jezebel wanders in and sees him sitting there pouting and griping, says, what's the matter? And, and he tells her that he wanted this vineyard, and the guy that uh, owns it won't sell it to him. And Jezebel says, "Don't no problem. I'll take care of it. You know, cheer up. And then about a week later, well, what happens is is she sends a letter. To the elders of the city that's near this vineyard that Naboth owns, and she says, "Have a uh, a big get together, and uh, make sure and invite a couple of guys, and have them present an unfounded accusation that Naboth has cursed both the king and God, and have them both swear to it, and take care of it, Take care of the problem right there. So they did that, and they these two guys that invented it out of whole cloth." said that Naboth has cursed God and, and the king. And so they go out and they kill him. And then Jezebel comes back in and says to Ahab, oh, here's your vineyard. And <laughs> wow, they paid through the nose for that. Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, that's an example of, uh, of violating people's property rights in the worst possible way.
4: So it's interesting that um, you talked about them bringing in false witnesses because Mm -hmm. that's the next verse. That's the next session. Yeah, yeah, 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. In other words, if he's complicit in the crime, Mm -hmm. he can't uh, accuse someone of that. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. But if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do unto him as he hath thought to have done unto his brother, so shall you put the evil away from among you. So the thing that really stands out to me is, you know, when I was young, the hardest thing for me to understand was that human nature had any type of real propensity toward evil. I thought that evil was learned. Um, And I I couldn't accept really that I had any inclination toward evil um, because I was always attracted to being good. Um, And I couldn't believe really that I needed a savior. And so to me this whole chapter is really quite a smack in the face to anybody who thinks that they could never do any of this um, because the older i get the more that i see that every single word of the bible is true Mm -hmm. it's prophetic even in the the laws are prophetic if you think you won't do something um don't don't ever think that you're above doing something and i'm not saying we have to live in fear i think we can live in confidence that Mm -hmm. we can be obedient But what I'm just trying to say is the only way you can be confident that you would never do any of this is if you are in relationship with God every day. And if you are so careful that you will avoid even the appearance of evil, Mm -hmm. I've gotten myself into sins that I thought I'd never do because I didn't avoid the appearance of evil. Mm -hmm. So where I'm going with this is um, this was long before Ahab and Jezebel. And yet it's like a script Mm -hmm. saying exactly what they were going to do step by step.
1: You're right. You're exactly right. But what uh, the prophet during that time and the way that story with Naboth and um, and uh, Jezebel and Ahab ends is Elijah. Elijah comes to Ahab and tells him, says, uh, "Well, what you've done here is reprehensible," and he's saying, "I don't know, some something to the effect of the the dogs are going to lick your blood off of the dirt of your precious new vineyard that you got," and he tells Jezebel the same thing or something equally. Equal to that, so, so God, God viewed that horribly for two reasons. One was well, He held them responsible because they were in position of the of power and authority. I mean, I, I'm sure He had some special um, destiny in mind for the two guys that decided to invent this whole thing and swear to it, you know, out of whole cloth. But that's those were those were not the ones that were really guilty. The ones that were really guilty were Ahab and Jezebel, and it. Yeah, it yeah, so what's right. the charge? What was the charge?
5: What's the charge? Yeah,
1: murder.
5: Well, they didn't do it. The other guys did it. What's no. the charge?
1: No, no, no. They conspiracy. Conspiracy. Okay. That's a legitimate conspiracy to legitimate- murder. Okay. Well, I don't want to a- too legally about this.
5: What? Well, I'm just saying that's that isn't just a. Oh, this guy believes in conspiracy theories. That's a they. That's an act of conspiracy. Is a Crime. Crime.
1: yeah. Well, especially in their position of authority. I think that's the thing that really upsets God.
4: I think today we would call that solicitation to commit capital murder.
5: <laughs> okay, I can believe that. I can believe that. Well, that's add on to it.
2: I want to go back to the uh, property rights. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about this a few weeks back with the judges. Mm-hmm. In a similar uh, way, how because the society kind of uh, dictated that you would have judges set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think, like, in our early period of our country's development, people had property rights because they staked their, you know, their land.
1: Mm-hmm. They were,
2: you know, homesteaders. Homesteaders, and for example, yeah. And, and I think as, uh, you know, people became more city dwellers, it became less and less, you know, Let's easy to, you know, stake your claim, so to speak. There's you know. a
1: couple things going on there. I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up just for the fact that it's kind of things I've often wondered about. I mean, the who gave the government the land that they decided to allow people to homestead? I mean, the government took it, is what they did. They took it from the Indians, right? That's what they did. But then they said, okay, we'll let you guys have it. You go out there and stake out the corners and and we'll let you have it. But then the other thing I was thinking just while you guys were talking, but, the theft of land. But Go ahead.
5: Getting past whether they stole it from the Indians and how all that applies, if you can say that they have legitimate claim to it, they held it in trust.
1: The, the government, government
5: doesn't own it. Like they held it in trust for someone to, to, to give, it, give the right to it. It wasn't that they owned it necessarily. They held okay. it in trust. They're supposed to hold it in trust. Getting it from them to unhold it in trust and give it to private citizens is the hard part.
1: Yeah, all right.
5: And I interrupted your uh, train of thought.
1: One other thing I was gonna say, go ahead. Okay.
4: So in response to John's heresy, (laughs) his political incorrectness, I understand what you're saying and What's ironic is my understanding, which is limited, I admit, is that the Native Americans actually don't even believe in the concept of land ownership. Yeah. And so when we... And with all due respect, I don't mean to disrespect what you're saying because I totally get the spirit of what you're doing. Um, but when we say that, you know, your boundary marks have been moved, that's not totally true. Where it becomes true is that um, when the... American, quote, government um, began to engage in wars with the Native Americans. And then as the, quote, victors, they gave um, the Native Americans reservations to live on. Then they took those reservations away. Now, I'm not justifying the war. I'm not justifying putting them on reservations. I'm not not justifying it. All I'm just trying to say is, the Native Americans did not have a concept of land ownership. As a matter of fact, they, they thought it was ludicrous mm-hmm. that the white man had a concept of land ownership. And so where the concept of land ownership became a part of the Native American life was when they were placed on reservations and then the reservations were repeatedly stolen from them by the ones who, quote, gave it to them. Well, Those were the boundary marks that got moved.
1: Like I say, wars up into everything. But the other thing I was going to talk about about stealing land, about owning and protecting the land you have, it really all depends on a civil society. Because if you don't have a civil society, the only way you could own any land is to build a wall around it and fortify it, which is what they used to do and defend it. Yeah, that's what they used to do. Yeah. Here we go. Well, the the you can you can pick on America if you want. I don't have a problem with that. But the thing is is it's the same story throughout history. I well, mean, every every the Bible is complete with one one people group getting dominant, becoming aggressive and taking over another.
4: And I don't, God I don't judges s- them. He I judges
1: them over and over and over again.
4: I don't see that as the pattern because the Bible says explicitly that God gave every nation their boundaries. Like he says he gave the Um, Moabites their boundaries. He gave the Israelites their boundaries. He actually calls them by name, and he says what their boundaries were. And, like, for example, the Israelites were not allowed to take over the Moabites. Was it the Amorites or the Moabites? Which one was their cousins, the the The, Lot's kids? That was the Moabites. The Moabites, okay. So there were certain lands that they were not initially allowed to take over. But there's also a a major theme in the Scripture that um, if any nation, whether they're God's chosen nation or not, become so wicked that they deserve judgment, um, then God will allow their enemies to rise up and take over their land. That's what I'm talking
1: about.
4: And so I don't think that's an example of unjustly moving the boundary. That's an example of God saying, okay, like with the Canaanites, I gave you 400 years from the time I told Abraham that I was going to give him your land. You've had 400 years of warning. You didn't take it you know, didn't take my admonition, you didn't change. Okay, so now Abraham's descendants yeah. through Shem are getting your land.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. But then what about those uh, those poor Amorites or Canaanites that uh, said they had a legitimate property right there? They had a deed that says, I own this land. Okay, I buy that.
9: <laughs> I'm wondering why and how um, Jezebel felt free to give Nabal's property just because he had died, because surely he had people inherited that was supposed to come after yeah, well, and take I'm it sure over you're too. I'm sure right.
1: I'm sure there would have been no problem given what they did. I mean, when you think about it, it took real guts for him to tell Ahab, no, I'm not selling it, right? And if you read the story kind of between the lines, Nate uh, Ahab would have paid him a lot of money for it if he had have just said he'd take it. But he said, no, I'm not going to do it. So... I'm sure that that's what happened to the inheritors of Naboth's Vineyard. If somebody went to him and says, oh, sorry to hear about your poor uncle or whatever it was. Uh, we'll give you 50 bucks for it. Or, you know, we'll give you something for it. And they were like, where where do I sign? <laughs> yep. Okay.
7: I just want to clarify. I'm not talking about ownership. I was talking about stewardship. Yep. That they were given stewardship over the land. And I think there is a difference and that does go along with the creator is the owner of all yeah, that's of all good. things. But, yeah, they are stewards, and that's what
1: well, and, and we essence, address that's, with
7: them is the stewardship, not the ownership.
1: That's what the Bible says God gave everybody, you know, nations, was stewardship because he says he owns it all.
2: Oh, I, I just wanted to hit on uh, Sally's point about the Native Americans uh, I'm part Native American and I agree with uh, you that uh, uh, natives don't really have a uh, you know they don't believe in ownership of land uh, but at the time there wasn't like uh, they were like like it is today like there were people everywhere yeah I mean they're really relatively speaking there were very few natives living in the land here yep. and I I don't believe personally, that we stole the land from the Indians. Now, we might have taken them out down the line, you know, when we were taking the reservations, putting them on reservations, you know, the tier of trails, all that stuff. Uh, that was well after, you know, the, the, the founders, the settlers, like pilgrims and people like that, they were just, they were religious people, you know, God-fearing people. And uh, I believe, you know, that they came here because that's where God sent them, you know. And, uh, but I, I have, uh, my, the, the tribe actually belong to a tribe in New Mexico, uh, the Pueblo tribe. And, uh, there's a plot of land on there that my grandfather owns. although he's not alive today. My brother lives on it today, but, uh, you know, they, they have like, uh, on their reservation, they have like, you know, their own properties and whatnot, you know, so in that sense they have like property rights, mm-hmm. you know, but, but those people, I mean, they weren't like the eastern Indians that were, like, pushed mm-hmm. ever westward. They'd they been there for, I don't know, long time. Well long time, yeah. Well, you know, before the white man even got there. Sure. I, I think the Spanish were there before, long before Americans were there.
1: Well, you know. yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for any of that stuff. And I'm not trying to defend one side over the other, really.
5: The whole thing—we screwed up. We're not on the land where we where we belong in well, the land the of Israel, line, right? Yeah,
1: that's the bottom line. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't have any idea we'd talk about that stuff for long. You want to go on? That's what. Well, that's what he says. That's but, what he says. But
5: steward rights are still—it's still a property right. You have you have access. You have access you may to not the property. Have, he, Yahweh but, is the title holder of the land of well, everything, but for sure the land of Israel. But we have. Equitable interest in it or or use of the property—that's still a right. It's still yeah, a property right.
1: But as the ultimate owner, if he doesn't like your what you're doing with it,
5: if we're messing he up evict his evict la- if we're not keeping the land Sabbath and doing the things he says to do about the land and practicing good biblical permaculture,
1: he'll evict you.
5: Then you will go away. Yep. You
1: will yep. go bye bye. You will be evicted. Let's let's read about witnesses. That's That'll finish the chapter. I, I think you did too, but... Well, I'll tell you... Does, uh, do you want to read it, Pat? Read from verse uh, 15 to the end of the chapter. Deuteronomy
9: 15.
1: Chapter 17. Verse 17. 15 to the end of the... I'm sorry, 19, nineteen chapter 19. Sorry, sorry, sorry. First mistake I've ever made. Yes. 19, verse 15,
9: right? Yeah. A solitary witness against someone in any crime, wrongdoing, or in any sort of misdeed that might be done is not sufficient. The decision must stand by two or three witnesses. Now, if a spiteful witness comes forward against someone... So as to testify against them falsely, the two persons who have a legal suit must stand before the Lord, before the priest, and before the judges that are in office at the time. The judges will look into the situation very carefully, and if it turns out that the witness is a liar, that the witness has given false testimony against his fellow Israelite, then you must do to him what he had planned to do to his fellow Israelite. Remove such evil from your community. Now the rest of the people will hear about this and be afraid, and they won't do that sort of evil thing among you again. Show no mercy on this point. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot.
1: Okay. Um, This is interesting. First of all, it's clearly this, uh, this policy of two or more witnesses. If it's, and the, the easiest way for me to understand that, if it's just one witness, man, it's my word against his word. Who can decide that? You know, so it's got to be at least two witnesses, two or more witnesses when I say two or three, I figures two or more. And then he immediately jumps into the malicious witness, to the one who is uh, accusing someone based on false testimony. And that seems to be a big deal. You know, you... uh the, the equivalent today is what? Perjury. Man, these turkeys do it all the time. It's basically lying, right? And who can tell the truth anymore? They, their lies are so common. And everybody treats it like it's nothing. And God says this is an extremely, point, extremely important point. And if you catch somebody doing this, somebody making something up, to falsely accuse someone, whatever you were trying to get them to have done to them, we're going to do to you. That's <laughs> stop it. And that's what he says. He says, this will stop it.
5: Well, that's that's the eye for an eye thing, right? Yeah. It isn't an eye for two eyes. Yeah, yeah. If you intended this, then that's your punishment, yeah. the, the equivalent amount.
1: Yeah. yeah I, I Personally, that seems real reasonable.
5: <laughs> Hold on, we got to come here.
8: Yeah, it reminds you of Haman, Mordecai, and Esther.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Hung on his own gallows. it's yep. <laughs> a good point. I like that one. Yeah. Did you have some time? Sally, do you have a
4: question? So, I think, I mean, I think all of God's laws are so wonderful and so amazing, and I also think it's interesting how in the name of justice we can see a law from the scripture being twisted in our own culture. And so I think an example of that is when you have um, uh, people who are criminals who are known criminals and they set someone up and help them do something they want to do that would be a crime of passion that they wouldn't necessarily do. Um, So I actually know someone that this happened to. And um, he did, he... Frankly, one you know was furious at somebody and said, "I want to kill that person." And this person who was an informant that he didn't know said, "I can help you do that." And so, where I'm going with it is, of course, the deed never gets done, but you know he gets convicted. I'm not saying he was innocent, um, but what I'm trying to say is, think of the difference if someone that you knew was in a fit of rage and maybe even had long-term anger and said, I want to kill that person. Think of the difference between a criminal who's a confidential informant who gets to stay free even though they continually do criminal things because they turn in other people, saying, oh, I can help you do that, and framing that person versus that person saying that to you and you as a believer in covenant with God saying, um, you know, guiding them away from that. And you see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so those people who are confidential informants in my and who get away with a continual life of crime, in my mind, are like these false witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're never going to get the penalty inflicted on them that they help bring upon other people. They get to continue mm-hmm. in their life of crime. And even if you watch um, the, all those different shows on TV, uh, like The Closer, it's a it's a, it's about a detective. You see this happen all the time with the informers. They have this continual way of life where they never walk away from their life of crime and they're constantly making deals with the FBI to continue to get away with their crimes as they testify against other people or set up other people to do something that was in their heart or mind that, but they, they would have never been able to do on their own. That That's a rabbit trail, I know. But No, that's all right.
1: I'm trying to, trying to see if it's really what's... It's certainly a perversion of justice. There's no doubt about that. Yeah,
8: yeah, yeah. It's a case of the rats ratting the rats. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But eventually, I think eventually Yahweh does take vengeance. Oh, he does. I mean, I have the, seen it. I have seen it personally in 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 some individuals where they've done something. And eventually it catches up to them mm-hmm. and you might be the only one that's privy to that information, but it comes around. Yeah. It's like the old boomerang. <laughs> yeah. You know, it it'll come around. Yeah. yeah, we yeah, we will avenge. And it's righteous avenge, so yeah. too. Yeah. I guess the uh, the thing that that I
1: really appreciate about this is that if we did this the way he suggested that we do it. Then what he says is, the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know, it just, the fact that people are so willing to to lie is, is the, the root of a big bunch of our problems. Done.
5: So in my studies of all the places where it says truth shall be established by two or three, it's almost always in regard to some sort of criminal act. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out how to, adju- how to uh, properly adjudicate a matter. Mm-hmm. It isn't about, well, my theology is better than your theology, and I can prove it because I have two or three witnesses. Mm-hmm. That's not really what, well, that's an abuse our, of that concept in yeah. context.
1: I buy that. It is about judgment.
5: I'm not saying if you have two or three good witnesses and you want to make a point that you're you're you have a good argument, but that's not that's not the, that's not thing, the context of yeah. the scripture.
4: The thing that I've always wondered about is what about the cases where? an abuse or a crime is legitimately done and there are not two witnesses. What about in the case of a child who's molested? In general, children don't speak out mm-hmm. and that's what their predators mm-hmm. count on. Well, So how is justice done?
1: Well, um, this, let's see how I can put it. God's, God's justice works. This is, this is us this is ours. This is what he tells us to do. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that question, of course, right off, you know, in any good way. But that, um, yeah, I know that he'll take care of it in the long run. That's a pretty bad answer, but that's that's the truth. If it's that symptomatic of a deeper ill, you know, it's like the um, the society itself is sick. Well, that doesn't mean that society itself isn't sick. Well, it's well,
5: th- there's no, there's no, we, we can't solve every problem. I mean, there's you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the 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 blood cries out. Abe Abel, yep. my his blood cries out. You know, crimes season. are committed. Yep. Sometimes they don't get um, properly ex- If you well, don't, they- if you don't do those things more bad things will happen. So, I mean, I guess there's no guarantee that every, every, every act will come to fruition as far as judgment in your lifetime. But eventually, you know, Yahweh has the
9: books. He yes,
5: keeps that's the books. What,
1: that's what I was going to say. You can guarantee that he knows and that he's keeping track. It may not happen quite the way we'd like it to.
9: If we were teaching the Torah in our Christian churches then a child would be free, more free to um, testify himself or herself against mm-hmm. the other and find somebody else, the mother or the sister or somebody else. But we aren't teaching it, so they don't even realize they have that opportunity.
1: That's that's a fair point. Plus, they, uh, you know, the, the government has taken the place of all of that stuff, right? Yeah.
2: I think also people just don't fear God, because if you truly did, you know, when you place your hand on that Bible and say, I swear, you know, it's like, well, most people don't even don't believe the Bible. Yeah. They don't really care, yeah. you know? So yeah, I also, uh, what John was saying, there's a passage in Revelation where the blood of the saints are crying out, when are you going to avenge our blood? And God says, just a little longer, yeah. just be patient. So, you know, I guess we just have to be patient.
1: Yeah. Well he does know. I mean, he's counted every single one. You know, he knows the he knows everything that's gone on. Yeah.
5: I would agree with Pat. If we lived in a torregated community, there would be this possibility for this happening would be greatly reduced, it would seem to yeah. me.
1: Well, wanna go on? We still got some more time. Chapter twenty. I'll read. Chapter 20 is not very long, so I'll read it. This one, we'll see see how it goes. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because Yahweh your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army, and he shall say, "'Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies.' Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For Yahweh your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The officers shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. And then the officers shall add, Is many, ma, any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home, so that his brothers will not become disheartened, disheartened too. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. And if they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, then lay siege to that city. When Yahweh your God delivers it into your hand, put the sword. Put to the sword all the men in it. As for the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in this city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves, and you may use the plunder Yahweh your God gives you From your enemies, this is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations that Yahweh your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as Yahweh your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against Yahweh your God. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its its trees by putting an axe to them, because you can eat their fruit. Do not cut them down. Are the trees of the field people that you should besiege them? However, you may cut down trees that you know are not fruit trees and use them to build siege works until the city at war with you falls.
0: Before you jump to that, I was looking for a possible answer to Sally's question, and I think I may have one. So, In Exodus 34-7, the Almighty says, He's the one who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren of the third and fourth generations. The interesting thing about this passage is, it's talking about people that are guilty. However, whenever there's sins that are known, we adjudicate those between ourselves, so the guilty are punished. This has to mean those who have escaped the system that he placed for us, because why would he need to visit those that are guilty when they there's justice has already been served? It's just an interesting point. So yep. I would have to trust that he's he's just like he says when the the fatherless cries out to him, he's going to hear their cry and he's going to take he's, action.
1: And he says that a bunch of times, right? The widows, the orphans, and the poor are who he hears. <laughs>
4: I actually have a question about that passage because a lot of, you know, charismatics who, and I'm I'm not knocking charismatics. I'm just saying, um, they take that passage to mean that, um, there are generational curses. And, um, so let's just say somebody was an abuser of children that that would be passed on generationally as a curse. If there was a spirit of, mur- they would call it a spirit of murder and that it would get passed on generationally. So, I'm not sure what it means. So, what, what You're in uh, 34 what? 34 seven. 7. So it says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Yeah. Uh, Will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the... See, that confuses me, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, because there's a scripture, I mean, there's more than one scripture that says children aren't to be punished for the sins of their parents. So I'm... I'll have to keep reading it, but I, I get the part about he's not going to leave sin unpunished.
1: Okay, moving on to war. <laughs> um, did anybody find anything interesting about the what the, uh, the priests and the generals say to the soldiers?
5: Oh, my comment is going to be there's a clear distinction between two types of people you go to war with.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, as a matter of um, fact, if you don't read that carefully, you miss that. Right. Yeah, well, they're they're allowed to treat the people of the neighboring nations in one way. What's what way is that? What happens when they go to war with some city in a neighboring nation? Nope, that's within the nation they're taking over.
5: You yeah, yeah offer they offer them
1: peace first, and if they say okay, then they're all they all become forced laborers, um, but they don't die. But if if they, if they don't and they besiege them, and it doesn't say if, it says when they fall, all the men are killed and the women and children are placed in servitude. Yeah. Uh huh.
4: I thought to make someone, uh, to make a nation a tributary meant they paid a tax every year, not that they became slaves.
1: Where do you see tributary?
4: So I'm in uh, verse 11 it says and it shall be if it make the answer and wait and it shall be if it make the answer of peace and open unto thee then it shall be that all the people that is found there and shall be tributaries unto thee and they shall serve thee Okay that means they to pay, pay tax to Pay a
1: tribute is commonly thought of as to pay a tax mm-hmm. but to be a tributary is not the same thing I don't think I think, you know, but we're saying, not
4: talking about forced labor, because that, that would be contrary to Israel's law, because um, you couldn't have anyone in perpetual servitude, because that would defy sabbatical years and nope. jubilee. Nope. Yeah, because everybody was off during those years. No. Nope. Absolutely, they were. It says so.
1: If, if you go back and read it carefully, it's for those uh, slaves that were Hebrews.
4: Well then, God is unjust. He doesn't love oh, people I'd be equally. With that statement. I know. I got in trouble for that once before. I hate slavery, and I know God hates slavery. And to say that God would allow some people to be made slaves because they weren't born into um, the least wicked nation on planet Earth, the only one that was salvageable. I mean, because that's we have to go back to what God says about why he chose the nation of Israel to be his chosen people. It says it wasn't for any righteousness that they had. Uh, it says they were a stubborn and stiff-necked people. He's chosen because they were a small people, and they were the least evil of all the people on the earth. So if that's why he chose them, then...
1: He didn't... That's not, that's not why he chose them.
4: Yeah, it is. It says he didn't choose them for any righteousness.
1: That's true. Okay. But they didn't say that was the reason. Yeah, it does. Okay. I don't agree with you.
4: So so if they if they were the least evil, then why did he choose them and why should some other person born in some other nation become a slave? Slavery is horrendous. It's horrific.
1: Well, number 1, I don't think your definition of slavery is the same as the Bible's definition of slavery. And number 2, <laughs> boy, I would be really careful about what, you know, you're you're judging God.
4: Yeah, but some... Okay, and I understand, last time I got in trouble for saying that, and this is a real hot button for me, so I apologize in advance, ask you to cover me with grace, but I will just say this. When I was young, I had never heard the word abortion until I went to a Christian school, and this is relevant. Just bear with me for a moment here. And the way I heard the word the first time was a male and female teacher who were married, I won't mention their names, uh, came out at the end of the school day and were standing by our lockers and said, if any of you girls get pregnant, we'll take you to get an abortion. Now, I didn't know what an abortion was, um, but I asked him, just someone said it means you won't be pregnant. Oh, I asked, I said, well, what is an abortion? And the lady said, well, if you're pregnant, you won't be pregnant when you're done. And I s- couldn't figure out what that meant because I didn't know about fetal development. But I just thought, I know there's a baby in there. And if you're not pregnant anymore, that baby's dead. And I said, Well, wouldn't that be murder? And she said, No, that when you're pregnant, there's not a baby in there. It's just a lifeless blob of tissue. Now, I was ignorant at the time and couldn't defend my position, but everything in my spirit said, No, in some way I can't explain, this is murder. And everything in my spirit is abhorred by slavery and God saying, Because you weren't born into Israel. You can be lesser in status, lesser in freedom than an Israelite. well, and and I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm right on this, and everyone can tell me I'm wrong, and someday somehow I will be knowledge enough to defend it just like I can defend the fact that abortion is murder.
1: your your definition of slavery is is wrong
4: well, no no human being uh, should be born or. Um, placed into a position where they don't have freedom. If, okay. if Yehovah um, says that I'm going to have this chosen people and they're free to go make other people less free, that's not just.
1: Mark has something you want to say.
5: Can we look up the Hebrew word instead of going off on? That would be very helpful, I would think. Yeah, so I was just, and we
0: talked a little bit about this when this came up before, and that is, I think what what we're looking at is, in the scriptures, there is a volunteered, and I hate to use the word, it's really not slavery, but it's volunteered servitude versus uh, someone that is forced servitude. For example, like the Egyptians, whenever they forced the Hebrews into forced servitude, would be different than someone who has sold, like uh, the Egyptians sold themselves and gave themselves away because they were starving. They gave their stuff away, and they sold themselves, volunteered themselves into this um, servant position. And I would have to say that a lot of these things come to the choices of an individual, depending on the choices that they make throughout their life. These wrong choices, bad choices that, or against what God teaches us to do, brings us into a position where we may have to volunteer ourselves into this servant position that we didn't want to be uh, serving. So I uh, would have to look, do the Hebrew study on on the word, which I haven't had a chance.
1: But I'd say a uh, four or five car loans and a mortgage you can't afford is servitude. So uh,
5: the King James uses tribute a lot. Most, most of the, for th- for the times that word is used, it's "mac" is actually the word, the Hebrew word. And, okay. and to, I, to, uh, this is what I responded to before with, with this, this question. You know, at some point you can decide, I'm going to become Hebrew. I'm going to enter in a covenant like the mixed multitudes. Yep. Do I now pay tribute on that? I don't think so. If I'm now Israel... If I'm going to embrace the Torah, the problem with these people are is what? They're not following the Torah. They're not doing the Torah. That's the problem. Yep. And so they can decide, well, we're going to let these people who are supposedly, hopefully, exercising the Torah properly to control us, at least for a period of time, till the generations come up, and then they decide whether they want to become Hebrew or not. And if they do, then it's a contract. You agree to pay this, this tax, this tribute. To, to this to Israel for for the work that they're doing that sounds kind of blunt but I mean I, I don't think it's it's not slavery it's 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 a tax it's a tribute but they agree to it because that, that was the the option of not going to war right
9: the people that are in this particular context right now only would have to be slave, because of the fact that they didn't take the opportunity to get things right with God before the, God sent in the Israelites to take
1: over. That's uh, that's true in general, yeah.
9: So it isn't that God took them and said, well, because you're not an Israelite, I'm going to make you a slave. Well, the, He the, gave everybody a chance to do right, and if they didn't choose to do right, then he gave them consequences.
1: Yeah, that's true. The life of a slave is completely dependent, the quality of life of a slave is completely dependent upon their master, right? And if you got some jerk, unbelieving, sadistic, greedy master, then your life's going to be miserable. But I wouldn't have minded being Abraham's slave. Eleazar didn't mind.
5: sir. Servant.
0: So, yeah, so this word which occurs the most times for a slave is a bad or a and it's, uh, to, it's basically the, the root idea is, is to serve, and it can also uh, relate to worship. Paul uses it to say that we are laborers uh, for Christ, but it's also used in the connection with the, Le- the Levitical service to the Almighty in the uh, uh, temple. So it has this servitude. Position to it, which brings my thought quickly to the bond servant, who uh, is obviously being treated well, and he decides that he wants to. Whenever his time is up of what he owed, that he's paying off whatever he had to pay because he's sold himself, he has the choice to stay or go on and work somewhere else. And he he's got a, a good master that's not you know it's treating him good and it's, things are well. He stays with that person he's working for yeah. same thing as I'm doing for a company if the company is treating me well I serve that company um you know it's <laughs> it is servit servitude and uh so it's it, it's interesting
4: okay just give me grace okay you guys <laughs> you're all in covenant I know I'll get grace from you here <laughs> Okay, so I just I just want to say one thing. It's easy to talk lightly about servitude being a tributary, um, a bond servant, a slave, whatever word you want to use. But the concept of not being free is really abhorrent. And if you if you can take it lightly because you're looking at it from the perspective of Israel or God's law, then just remember that. And again, I'm not trying to be. Politically incorrect or to pick on people here, but just remember the Muslims have the same view that they're free to go and, you know, make slaves of anybody who doesn't submit to Allah. They can, in other words, their law says kill them if they won't convert unless they're willing to be tributaries, in which case, I, what do they call them? Dimi or something like that. D H I I N I or something like that. I don't know, I don't even know how to pronounce it or spell it really. And the thought of me having to do that is abhorrent. One, because I don't believe in their God, and two, because the idea of me losing my freedom is abhorrent. God didn't make me not to be free.
1: Well, I don't have any trouble with what you just said. I just have more trouble with the fact that uh, you know, it's not. It's not the word that's wrong it's your understanding of well maybe maybe none of us understand it right? well i'm not going to say i i obviously do but
8: yeah
2: uh i have a question about this uh this seems to only apply it says uh this is how you to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you yes so there's two th- cases. these are like outlying areas yes or- where yes. are they attacking these people, anyways? They have to, don't
1: well, they have they, to... they shouldn't. I don't know why they're <laughs> going to be doing it, but the the there are two separate cases. There's that case, and believe me, those guys get off pretty good, right? Because the case of the cities that are in Canaan, the answer to them was destroy virtually everything that breathes. Yeah. So you could argue about how slavery is pretty. Unpleasant thought, but it's probably preferable to death. I don't know.
0: It can mean unpaid.
1: Okay, well, it could be a tax. I mean, well, I can understand I'm saying that.
0: I'm saying the, the person that was doing the labor is not given hey. what he was owed.
1: Okay, it's not, it's not a paid job. Yeah.
5: It's right. like having the peace of Rome. There's peace, but you pay for the peace to have the Romans keep the peace.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll noodle on this some more. We'll think about what I've thought, and you think about what you think, and we'll we'll go back and see if That's we come in to any conclusions. Yeah. yeah. I want to know the truth. Yeah. I want to know the truth. Okay, thank you. Let me pray. Father God, thanks for the evening. Thank you for the discussion. Thanks for us in enabling us to grapple with these issues. Help us to uh, consider these things in light of your word and in light of uh, of the way you want us to think. Please keep us safe. Help us to uh, just follow you more closely as we go through the week and keep us until we meet together on Shabbat. In whose name, amen. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks.
5: Thank you, Jerry.